their friends were amazed that like this four-year-old can read, but then they would look closely and like the book is upside down. (laughs) (laughs) Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 218. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, it is always fun to read through the guest applications you all send in at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash guest. You fill our inbox with stories, goals, hilarity, and so much heart. One particularly memorable application didn't come from today's guest, Anna Mittler. It came from one of her best friends, Charlotta, asking if we could make What Should I Read Next a part of Anna's upcoming wedding. I don't want to spoil the story before Anna has a chance to tell it herself, so I'll just say that it took a full year to stitch the pieces together and get this episode to your ears, and I hope you love Anna's story as much as we loved making it happen. Let's get to it. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. And it's a funny thing, because of your history with the podcast that has not been on air, I feel like we've talked before, but we haven't actually talked before. Yeah, it feels like we're old friends, even though I kind of feel like it's one-sided because I feel like I know so much more about you than you know about me. But <laughs> It feels like it just happened, but it's actually close to a year ago. Your friend, Charlotta, sent in the sweetest guest application on your behalf, and it just made everyone here at What Should I Read Next headquarters go, aww. And actually, we have a clip of Charlotta reading her email. Here it is. Hi, Anne. My good friend Anna is getting married in Helsinki, Finland this summer. Anna is your super fan. She never misses a podcast or an Instagram live feed. She has gotten several members of our book club hooked as well. We're throwing her a surprise bachelorette party weekend in a forest retreat in May. During this bachelorette weekend, we'll have a book club meeting and would like to pick a book that is about marriage as a rite of passage. It would mean the world to her to get book recommendations on marriage from you. Could you recommend a book for us to read in this surprise book club in May? So our producer, Brenna, immediately messaged me when she got this message and said, Hey, the bachelorette party idea is so cute, and obviously we have to do it, but what if we did more? So I recorded a voice message recommending two books for you, one to read before the wedding and one that would be a great vacation read on your honeymoon, and we sent it over to Charlotta with the promise that after all the wedding hustle and bustle was over and you were back from your honeymoon, you would come on What Should I Read Next and tell me what you thought about the books. And here you are. I'd love to hear about how all this unfolded from your point of view. I don't know where to start because I wasn't aware until, you know, that request <laughs> until, yeah, l- late, late May. Yeah, I was completely unaware. My, I guess my history with the podcast is I've been a huge fan. I discovered it maybe two years ago now. And I believe I was the first among my friends because I started telling everybody about it. And Charlotta is in a book club, in my book club that I established with some friends. I constantly talk to them about the podcast. And then I feel like because I started listening to a podcast and I signed to your newsletter and then I joined your book club and then I went to book school and then I started book journaling and I felt like I was getting more and more involved in the community. And I did tell my friends about every step of the way. So I think that's how Charlotte knew about you. 
It says something about a person if what you want at your bachelorette weekend is book recommendations. We just love that about you and your friends. We thought we'd just like fit right in together. Yeah. (laughs) So of course I want to know more about the book club bachelorette. Tell me what it was like. I have to start a little bit before the bachelorette weekend because sometime in the spring, my boyfriend, future husband at the time, suggested that we should read a book together, which when we started dating, we we read two books together. And then I told him, okay, you can pick whatever you want. Um, You're more picky with books than I am. And so he picked this book, uh, which is a nonfiction by, I think she's a psychologist or at least a, or a couple counselor, Hold Me Tight. I don't know this I one. I was so impressed by him because it's basically, it's about attachment theory in relationships. And the whole book is about her revi- like uh, sharing this theory, but basically how it can help couples overcome conflicts. And in each chapter, she talks to couples who are on the verge of breaking up and she applies the theory and shows how you can use it to overcome conflict and sustain connection in long term. And I was so impressed that, you know, he picked this book. I was like, oh, my God, you're taking this upcoming marriage so seriously. I did tell my friends about it too. I was so smug about it. I was like, oh my God, can you imagine? What did they say? You know, they weren't as as impressed as I was hoping they would be. They were just like, Mm. oh, that's great. (laughs) And then at my bachelorette weekend, which... By the way, I don't know if this is a tradition in other countries, but in Finland, the whole weekend is a total surprise to you. You don't know when it happens and you don't know what you're going to do at all. Wait, this isn't you and your friends? This is the standard way it's done? Yeah. No, I wouldn't say that's the norm (laughs) where I live in the United States. Okay. But that's really fun. It's also terrifying. It makes you not trust your friends. You know, my spring was so filled with all kinds of plans and I didn't know which ones were fake and which ones were not. (laughs) The wedding was not until the end of July. So there was a lot of time for me to think, okay, when is it happening? (laughs) And I was so sure that I would know when it would happen because it's not so easy to trick me, but they successfully tricked me. So what did what did they do? They made multiple fake plans. My friends from work, they convinced me that we are having an after work on Friday. And another friend convinced me that she's celebrating her birthday on Saturday. And she created a Facebook event and invited friends there, which is why I believed it was a true plan because I was like, no one's going to create a fake Facebook event. And people were attending and people were messaging there like plans for that Saturday. (laughs) I made a handmade gift for her because I was so looking forward (gasps) to see this friend because I don't see her very often. So I was very excited for her birthday, which, well, turned out she just like, she told all of her friends that this is a fake plan and they just played along. (laughs) (laughs) So at the bachelorette weekend, Charlotta actually put together a list of cocktail recipes that had book pairings with them. That book was called Modern Mrs. Mittler's Cocktail Book. <laughs> which I love it. Retrospectively should have given me some hints, but I was just like, oh, you know, I like the podcast. So it's a riff on that. That's really nice. So we made some cocktails and we sat down and my friends were like, oh, you know, we are, we're going to have a book club now. I was so surprised. I was like, what, what do you mean? did we all read the same book? They're like, yeah, guess which one? And of course it was Hold Me Tight. (laughs) (laughs) 
so they were the ones who like asked my boyfriend to make me read this book. I think originally they were hoping to read your recommendation, but I think the timing didn't work out because like we we needed to uh-huh. get it done in time <laughs> because the party was in May. So they picked this Hold Me Tight uh, book about relationships. And we actually had a book club. We discussed this book for an hour, which was so wonderful. I loved it. <laughs> That's amazing. And then at the end, my friend Marina, she said, hey, well, you know, one person who really wanted to be part of this session, but is not here, but she left a message for you. And then I was just so surprised. I was like, what, what, what do you mean? Who's like, I couldn't think of anybody who wasn't there. And then they started playing your message. And we have that clip for everyone to hear. This is what I sent Charlotta. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle. And this is my opportunity to recommend a book, no, two books for The Bride to Be. So thank you for asking me. First, for a marriage-centric book, I have in mind The Real Thing by Ellen McCarthy. This is Lessons on Love and Life from a Wedding Reporter's Notebook. This is a few years old. It's nonfiction. It's a lot of fun. McCarthy was the weddings reporter for the Washington Post. So that means for her weekly beat, she interviewed more than 200 couples over the years who walked down the aisle and appeared in the weddings column for her magazine. In this book, she pulls together everything she's learned about her insights in love and marriage and also breakups. And she has a funny story because she actually endured a pretty horrible breakup on her first day on her job as a wedding reporter. So how is that for ironic? But this is a bunch of short essays. You don't even have to read them in order. They have funny titles like Screw Meeting Cute and Don't Look for Lightning. And one that I particularly enjoyed was Top 10 Reasons to Call It Off. Although I think when you read these, you will only feel better about your decision and not worse. This is smart and funny. There's great fodder for conversation. Now for the honeymoon read. This might sound kind of funny, but I want to recommend a book about a woman who falls off the bike at spin class, bumps her head, and wakes up in the middle of what has become a horrible marriage. Here's what I like about it. At its heart, What Alice Forgot by Leon Moriarty is a book about how good relationships go bad. And they don't go bad overnight, but instead, in all the myriad small decisions we all make in our everyday lives. I'm a big fan of marriage expert John Gottman's work. He says, most marriages die with a whimper as people turn away from one another, slowly growing apart. That all sounds pretty depressing. Why would you read it on your honeymoon? Okay. Answer one, Leon Moriarty. Her books are fast and fun and they go down easy. They go down so easy, in fact, that you may not even realize that in a very entertaining way, what Alice forgot addresses issues that really matter, which is how do good relationships go bad over time? Her answer is that we stop acting like we care. And I think what it does is it really calls you to treasure and honor and pay attention to the relationships that matter to you most right in front of you. So fast, fun, and about happy times in marriage and how to make them last by loving the people important to us well. So congratulations, best wishes for a fun girls weekend together, a very happy honeymoon. Oh, and let's not discount the wedding in between. I hope that is a dream day for you. I'm thrilled to hear that books are an important part of these special times in your lives. So best wishes and happy reading. I was so 
shocked and surprised and touched. I couldn't focus on your message. Because <laughs> 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 I was just like, what's going on? This is like worlds colliding. I was like, oh my God, Anne Bogle is sending me a recommendation on this, my bachelorette weekend. Well, it was a big weekend for you. Yeah. And then while you were talking, they gave me the copies of the books that you recommend and they all signed Aww. them. And this is when I started crying uncontrollably because it was just so, so, so touching. I actually cried again when I showed this. I replayed your message to to my boyfriend when I came home after the weekend and I was cried again then. <laughs> and he was just like, why are you crying? This is so strange. <laughs> but I just thought, I mean, I loved hearing your recommendation. I love that you were part of that weekend. I love that my friends did this for me. And I just couldn't even imagine the amount of work that was put into getting that message to me on that day. Well, I'm so glad I got to be a part of your special weekend. When you're not actively getting married, tell me about your reading life. I mean, I read all the time and and I have expanded my genres actually, thanks to your podcast and your blog. I've been reading more historical fiction and graphic novels, good nonfiction. Like I tend to veer towards fiction. I have read like my fair share of Russian classics growing up, so I'm not so keen on that. <laughs> I like to vary my reading a lot. So if, if I read a nonfiction I usually have two two books going at least at the same time. The one would typically be on audio and another print, usually at home. And now I'm actually going to back to school soon. So I'll have probably three books going at the same time. One of them will be a textbook. Mm-hmm. What are you going back to school for? I'm going to get an MBA. So that will be an interesting mix. Yeah. So I'll have like textbooks on financial accounting and Harry Potter and and some cool latest fiction and maybe some old historical novel all at the same time. I mean, you sound like a reader. My parents love to tell the story of how I started reading before I could read. Like basically they would read bedtime stories to me and I would memorize them. And then I would pick up the book and then I would just like retell the story as I remember it. And so their friends were amazed that like this four-year-old can read, but then they would look closely and like the book is upside down. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how the human brain works, like even from an early age that you just love and can so easily internalize those stories? I've always been a reader, basically. Where do you fit reading into your day right now? Like, is it something you do to relax at night Mm. or that you do when you're taking breaks? I always try to read before bed. I listen to books on my commute to work, which is quite short, so I don't actually get that much reading done. I listen to books when I run also. I'm a runner, so that helps. And then school books, I just have to make time for them. So So it sounds like you have some systems in place so that when you do resume a serious course load, you won't entirely stop reading because that does happen to a lot of students. Yeah. You know, we're always in favor of recreational reading here, but we understand Mm. how sometimes for a season. Yeah, because I I already have a master's and I like, so I just remember from previous studies that at the end of a school year, the like I was just yearning for stories that had like a plot because <laughs> you get <laughs> so overly saturated with theories and uh, concepts and things like that that you just I just want you know a good character and a plot and a storyline. I think I might change the type of books I read, so I probably won't mm, dive into really heavy 
stuff, which I normally love, but I think I'll probably just read more <laughs> uh, detective stories or cozy mysteries or whatever, or graphic novels and less of the uh, thick stuff, at least until the summer break. Then in the summer break, I'll <laughs> tackle those 500 page <laughs> books that I've been dreaming about in the throes of school life. I love how you have it all mapped out. So Anna, I can't wait to hear more about your favorites. Are you ready to get into your books? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we will talk about what you may enjoy reading next. So how did you choose these books? Oh, it was very difficult. I cheated a little bit because I picked favorite authors for the two books, two of my favorites, uh, instead of one book. I hope that's okay. We'll allow that. One of them is J.K. Rowling. I have devoured Harry Potter, but I also read, basically I've read everything by her. I've read The Casual Vacancy and all of the Cormoran Strike uh, detective stories. And I just love the way she writes. Like all of the books, they have depth to them beyond the plot. Like all of the books, they have great characters that you empathize and you want to learn about. They all go through growth. You know, the plot is constantly moving. Post Harry Potter, her stories just acquired even more depth, I think. Because it's not children's literature, she's able to dive into more difficult problems. Like she's talking about, you know, being outsiders, class differences. We even get in, like into some politics with some of the books, or at least, you know, we enter into the House of Commons and the and the Westminster Abbey in her latest book. So I, I love the settings, the atmosphere, everything actually about her writing. <laughs> I love the Corman Strike series. And I mean, the problem with getting a new book out like Lethal White, it's now been a full mm -hmm. year. I read it and I read it so fast. And then I wanted to know what happens next. And it's such a long wait, but I haven't yet read The Casual Vacancy. What did you love about it? It's set in a small town and you really feel like you are there. Everything like appealing about small towns in the UK. And then it also has this dark undercurrent of small town politics and jealousies, people being petty, people being outsiders for various reasons and how they're trying to incorporate themselves into the fabric of the town, how they're being rejected for various reasons, how people judge you based on your circumstances and not so much on the... Mm, depth of your character. Yeah, so it has a big cast of characters, but they're all distinct and everybody's problematic. And I think it raises some really good moral questions. Just the kind of thing you'd like to dig into. Yeah. <laughs> the middle books in the Corman Strike series were heavy hitting. I mean, mm. I had to read some of it like peeking through my fingers, covering my eyes because, oh, it was so gruesome in places. But also, I just really wanted to know what happened. Like with the mysteries, yes, but also in the personal lives mm. of characters. Like I am in and I want to know. Yeah. With Casual Vacancy, there's much less gory stuff because, yeah, there's no like constant murders like with the detective stories. There are still some things that will make you cringe, I think. There are still some things that are heartbreaking. Uh, which she doesn't shy away from, I think. I mean, if you enjoyed the Cormoran Strike series, I think you would also enjoy The Casual Vacancy. Well, I've been meaning to give it a try. And then you said it was one of your favorites. <laughs> so maybe this is just the push I need in the right direction. Yeah. What did you choose for your second favorite? My second author, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. 
I think I read everything by her except her recent short story collection, I think. Actually, short stories is not mm-hmm. something I like that much. Or maybe I just haven't found a collection that works for me. But I especially liked Americana. And I really liked Half of the Yellow Sun and the Purple Hibiscus, which I, I, I read mm-hmm. quite recently. Tell me more about short stories. Yeah, I think they just the story ends too soon for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I tried reading collections of small uh, uh, short stories by various authors. I think the only one I mm-hmm. liked was by Charles de Lint, who is a Canadian author, and it has fairies. It has actual magic in them. But they are set mm-hmm. in urban settings, like you can have regular cities and then something magical happens there. I don't know what it is that doesn't work for me. I think it's it ends too abruptly or it serves as a metaphor that I can't quite understand. Maybe it has so many layers that are packed together in short pages that you need to maybe spend more time on it to like unravel the mystery that's been, you know, inside those pages. I know a lot of readers say that they'll read a story or sometimes readers will feel this way about novels that are written is a collection of short stories almost mm-hmm. like Homegoing by Yajessi or Before We Visit the Goddess by Chitra Banerjee Devaka Rooney, that they feel like by the time they've gotten to know the characters and they're rooting for them and they're invested, you leave them behind and you meet new people and they're like, <laughs> but, 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 but I want to know what happened to them. Like, do you, does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. Because you feel like you are dropped in the middle of a narrative and then you leave when you kind of want to find out what happens next. I'm sympathetic to your point of view, although I do love what a good short story can do. They can really pack a punch. Mm-hmm. The first short stories I remember reading were the O. Henry stories that we all read in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And also The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. Is this a story you know? No, never heard. It's the story of a small community drawing straws, mm-hmm. cards. I don't remember what they're drawing, but they're choosing one community member as they do once a year for something significant. And the story at the end, if you don't know what's coming, really is stunning. And like, it's shocking. Like I read it for the first time when I was 12 or 13 years old and I can still remember that like, oh, reaction to it. Uh (laughs) But this week I was driving kids in my car and two middle schoolers were discussing the point of the lottery. And I thought, I'm not sure whether I should intervene or not. That was one of my more memorable reading experiences in recent weeks. (laughs) Adichie, what is it that really makes you feel connected to her work and want to keep picking up more? I think originally I liked her stories because they were so different. They introduced a fresh perspective because so much of the books I read and like are uh, by Western authors and set in Western countries, Uh Uh, whereas hers comes from Nigeria. You can relate to this country, but still the fact that it is a different country, it is a different context, the perspective, the characters, the storylines are fresh. I think that's originally why I like her. But now that I've read so many of her stories, it's not so much the fresh perspective. And I also read a few other African and Nigerian Mm -hmm. authors, thanks to her work. But what I like about her, it's again, like character development. There's so much plot development too. I like the, I think with Americana, I just love the theme of immigration and belonging. I think that resonated with me a lot. She tackles big themes uh, like family, 
upbringing and faith in a way that is not daunting, but is still really engaging because through the eyes of the characters, you mm-hmm. get to grapple with these really difficult questions. Or with Half a Yellow Sun, you learn about the difficult history of Biafra and Nigeria, which I didn't know anything about before that book. That sounds really heavy, but it's not at all heavy. Like this book, it just reads uh, in one go. <laughs> I see what you mean, how she takes these themes that it's so easy and common to think about in the abstract mm. and she makes them really intimate. I have to not get all gushy when I'm talking about a book like Americana, which I just love and is one that I've recommended on the podcast mm. a lot. Like for our Patreon community, we've we've rounded up the books that have appeared on the show the most and Americana is definitely one of them. Yeah. Anna, what did you choose for your third pick? Educated by Sarah Westover. It was actually a recommendation from a friend's mother who recommended it last year. She said that she really liked this book. And then, of course, I think it was one of the most read books last year in book clubs in States. And we read it in our book club in February. So there were many reasons to read this book. Like it expanded my worldview. Plus, it's nonfiction. I, I do like nonfiction as well. Well, well written nonfiction, it's a memoir, really. It's well written. It's surprisingly shocking, I think, considering that it's, you know, it's a story of someone who is around my age, uh, who grew up in the United States, but her life is so different from, from most people around her. Learning how she coped with, with her life and like how her life developed, it was fascinating because I think it just taught me so much about the flexibility of humans as species, I guess. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it. After reading this book, I really felt like my worldview has expanded. I have now seen something new and different. Okay. I'm going to think about how that integrates with your previous loves. (laughs) Anna, tell me about a book that was not for you. So this book... I picked it up. I don't remember why I picked it up, but it's Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I have read his 100 Years of Solitude, I believe is the name of the book. And that one I enjoyed. Uh But this one, I forced myself to finish it. And I regretted the time that I spent finishing it. Um, because I don't know, it didn't work for me, even though it has character development, it has an interesting plot. It's set up in a fresh or like a a, a different location than our typical Western novel, but it just dragged. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why it felt maybe too lyrical. It just felt like the narration dragged on and on without making me feel like it was a particularly justifiable. (laughs) So in the season ahead of you, your reading is going to be, it sounds like it's going to be a little more limited. Yeah than it has been in the past. You're looking for books that have um, more in common with what we really saw represented in your favorites that were really strong on character development and also did not have leisurely pacing. They're strong on character, but they're also all strong on plot. Yeah, I think that's the magical combination that makes me want like not put down a book. (laughs) Okay, so the lyrical writing is nice, but it's just one component of what you're looking for. Yeah, I think it has to be atmospheric and can have beautiful language. But yeah, if it's just dragging on, I'm not here for it. (laughs) I haven't read Love in the Time of Cholera, but I can't think about it. This is so, I mean, apologies to the universe and Gabriel Garcia Marquez, but I can't think about it without thinking of the movie Serendipity. Have you seen this? No, but I thought there was a movie adaptation of of the book. Oh, it would be very different from, so Ah. this is a romantic comedy from, I think the nineties, but it's John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. And the plot is driven by, um, 
him searching used bookstores for the copy of Love in the Time of Cholera that will reunite him with the woman he believes he's destined to be with forever. Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, I think the last time I saw it, it was playing like in a dry bar or on an airplane or something somewhere. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Like quality cinema that will endure for a hundred years. Maybe not, but fun. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anna, what have you been reading lately? Well, thanks to you and <laughs> the marriage, I have been reading a lot of books uh, that are related to uh, marriage and weddings. So, I mean, apart from the two recommendations that I, uh, I'm going to talk about, I also, yeah, I read The Hold Me Tight, which was about relationships, five love languages, which was a book recommendation I got at the friend's wedding. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Someone mentioned that book in a speech. And afterwards, I was so intrigued. We read it at my book club because I was like, we have to read this book. <laughs> and I also read The Gown because, of course, it's related to the biggest wedding of the at the time of the 20th century. <laughs> but the two books that you recommended to me, one was The Real Thing. It's a collection of stories about weddings and marriage by the wedding columnist for the Washington Post. I didn't realize that's a job, by the way. That's so cool. For a couple of years, she was writing about weddings for, I think it was the Washington Post. It was, yeah. I really liked it. I have to say, I skipped the first couple of chapters, or I skimmed through them because they were about dating. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm not so interested in that right now because I was so, I was, you know, preparing for a wedding. And she has some good chapters on actually preparing for a wedding, parts that stay with you at a wedding, thinking about the marriage. When we were at the Bachelorette weekend, we read together one of the chapters, which I think was called How to Arrange a Wedding and Still Keep Your Friends. Uh, or something along those lines, because it was like a fun list-based short uh, essay. Actually, one advice she gave that I wish I knew about that before was she recommended plan your wedding in a short period of time, like within just a couple of months. We spent almost a year planning ours. And when I read this book, I was like, oh my God, she's so right. I mean, during that year, we weren't all the time planning the wedding, but it was always on my mind one way or another. Whereas I think women and men who plan it so like within just a couple of months, like that's the way to go because it's stressful couple of months, but it's going to be stressful couple of months anyway. Like, you know, even we were planning it for a year, still last couple of months were really, really heavy. So I wish like when I was reading that book, I was like, oh, I wish I knew about this <laughs> before. And then also one of the things that I remember from this book was she interviewed so many people that, who got married and she has been to so many weddings because of her job. And then she asked them, what is the thing that they remember the most at the end or what stayed with them after the wedding? And most people said it was their ceremony that you spend so much time planning everything else, micro details about everything but quite often you don't think about the ceremony itself as much. So mm -hmm. when I read that, I was like, okay, that's really true. We need to really think through about our ceremony. And so we we spent more time around it with, uh, with my partner. And I'm grateful for that advice. I really enjoyed that book. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. Okay, so you read The Real Thing. And then I recommended a novel as well about a marriage gone terribly, horribly wrong. Was that actually good honeymoon reading or no? Uh, so what Alice forgot 
by Leanne Moriarty. The hardest part was to not read it until the honeymoon. <laughs> it was on myself and it was summer and I really wanted a light, fun read. But I was like, okay, no, I, I will read it. And, you know, as soon as we went to the airport, <laughs> I was like, okay, now it's the time. And I have to say, I enjoyed it. But the first night after I started reading it, I woke up from a horrible nightmare. No. <laughs> I think it was because I, it was like one day after the wedding. So I think I was quite tired and very impressionable. <laughs> I think I was just dreaming about the book and I woke up with this feeling like that my now husband hates me and I don't understand why. <laughs> just like the character in the book, that's where it starts. And so, yeah, I remember this like horrible sinking feeling like, no, you don't love me anymore. And I don't understand why. What have I done? So did you keep reading or did you throw it in the pool? Oh, no, I kept reading. I was like, no, this can't. <laughs> yeah, it was perfect summer read, perfect beach read, like relaxing in the sun. I have to say I was I was afraid that it wouldn't have a satisfying resolution uh, until the very end. But then it did have a very satisfying resolution. So it ended well and I was so happy. <laughs> I'm so glad that is really a relief. I wouldn't want that book to give you honeymoon nightmares and then not have any redeeming qualities about it. <laughs> no, it was great. And I think it having that nightmare, reading that book, it made me appreciate what we have with my partner in life now. <laughs> I was actually discussing it with another friend after your recommendation. She read the book uh, and was very careful not to reveal too much what she thought about it. And afterwards, she said, like, yeah, at first she was really concerned because, like, the marriage is really not, it's not working for most of the book. Uh, and she was like, yeah, I was surprised why this was, with the, why, why it was recommended as honeymoon read. But then and in the end, you understand, like, yeah, it works out. But we were both wondering, like, oh, my God, like, what do we do to, like, prevent us from being in that situation? Like, not literally, but, you know. 10 years down the line on 10 year anniversary. Will we hate our husbands <laughs> or will they hate us? Like, what can we do for that not to happen? How does it happen? How do you go from this? You know, because when they describe the love in that relationship, you really think like, how could these people go from that to not being able to talk to each other? Right. And that's something you can do really well in a novel is you can set up this dramatic construct that lets you explore that question that is really super relevant to your real life. Yeah, exactly. But it condenses the like day by day creeping complacency that can intrude in any relationship. Mm. I've been reading a lot of Kate Atkinson this year. Ooh, fun. I started with transcription. What did you think about that? That's got a different kind of tone than your favorites do. I thought it was fun. She has a lot of dialogue in that book. Not so much like I read other other books by her and, and in some it's just like walls of text with very little dialogue. Whereas in this one, there's a lot of fun dialogue between two characters. I mean, I like that there is a protagonist who wants to be a typist and then ends up being something else entirely. Uh, yeah, she ends up spying for the MIC. She just wants a job. Yeah, she just wants a job. She wants to be independent and then she falls way over her head. Yeah, the plot is fun. I bought this book from a work trip in London and I happened to be staying at a place that is featured in that book, which I didn't know at the time. Oh, really? Actually, the office where she was a typist was uh, in the area where I, I had my Airbnb. <laughs> so that, that made it extra fun. Oh, for sure. Oh, what a coincidence. Okay, so lots of Kate Atkinson. Yes, I've been reading her uh, detective story since, which was like, actually prompted by the Modern Mrs. Darcy reading challenge. 
What category was that for? That was for like read three books by the same author you like. Okay. So that's how I started with, well, now I'm reading like the fifth book by her this year. <laughs> so I clearly like her. That's a good sign. And those are fun and, and atmospheric because I also visited Edinburgh this year and one of the books oh. set there. And I, th- I feel like the other books are like in, in spirit set there because it's really. Which of her books is set in Edinburgh? Uh, well, I think it's When Will There Be Good News? Okay. I haven't read that one. I don't think I've read any Kate Atkinson since I went to Edinburgh. And you know, you read it differently if you've actually been to a place, you connect with it in a slightly different way. Yeah. Your imagination has different information to latch onto than if you've never been there. Yeah. Okay. So now I'll have to go back and read it since I have been. (laughs) Is there anything else interesting in your reading rotation lately? I've been reading some graphic novels, thanks to Brenna, actually. Oh. Yeah. Well done, Brenna. (laughs) I would have never picked them up because I thought graphic novels are either for kids or for people who are into superheroes. And (laughs) I'm not heavily (laughs) into superheroes. And I was like, I'm too grown up to read picture books. Uh, She dropped some recommendations, which were memoirs. And I would like I I surprised myself by really really enjoying them. I think uh, the ones I actually the ones I enjoyed most were spinning and blankets. I think partly I also enjoyed them because I read them in winter and though those are quite wintry. There's a lot of snow in blankets and spinning is about ice skating. So that's funny. I went to Edinburgh with Tilly Tilly Walden. Really? Who wrote that one? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Wow. I haven't read it yet, but I've been intending to ever since. So maybe with winter upon us. Now would be a good time to do that. Yeah. Oh my God. I look forward to, I think she, she must write something else, right? Like she's, she's like 20 or something. <laughs> she's so young. I hope she writes more because I really liked her style. And she says that she's really fast as a cartoonist. Uh-huh. So I hope that means that we have lots of books to look forward to and that we won't have to wait decades to get them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Anna, what would you like more of in your reading life? I would like to read um, more diversely. Because I think like I have a long list, a long TBR list with great recommendations that are l- latest releases, books that are f- written mostly by American or British authors. I think there's so much choice there and I have so many good recommendations thanks to the podcast. What I would like to read more are slightly older books that could have flown under the radar, but uh, stood the test of time. So something that was published maybe 5, 10, 15, maybe 20 years ago. And also I'd like to read more books by or set in countries around the world. And so that's also that's why I set up a challenge for myself to read one book per country. I remember in one of your episodes, there's been someone who wanted to read one book for every year of 100 years. I've loved that episode. I was really impressed, but I was like, there's no way I can do this in one year. So (laughs) I think my project, I might be doing it for a decade. I just, you know, there's no timeline to it. I just want to eventually read one book per country. Although I also realized it's hard to estimate how many countries that includes because different lists have different numbers of countries. That's true. That's the advantage of doing it in a year also is that you have less time for the target <laughs> to move. Yeah. I'm so early at the project. Like I think I've only ticked off 13 countries. What are some of the ones you've gotten so far? United States and United Kingdom, <laughs> Russia, the Nordics, Israel, actually, thanks to one of the graphic novels that I got recommended by a friend, which was Jerusalem Chronicles. That was a fun one. 
Netherlands, I read The Dinner by Herman Koch. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that stick out. I've read also Nigerian authors, of course. I don't have anything yet for South America. It's going to be really hard uh -huh. to get stuff for the small island nations, I think. Uh -huh. Some countries like I've never, never heard of also ended up on that list. Asian countries as well. That's yeah, not going to be easy. No, that's a big challenge, <laughs> but it sounds like a fun one. I'm going to travel to Cuba soon. I don't have a book for Cuba, so I was hoping maybe you could recommend me something. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Okay. So Anna, the books you love, anything JK Rowling, anything Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, but especially Americana, and the memoir Educated by Tara Westover. Not For You was Love in the Time of Cholera, and you're looking for under-the-radar books, and you need one of each from every country in the world, which is just under 200. So that's, that's enough reading to keep you busy for a good long time. All right. So books to take you around the world or straight to South America. <laughs> I want to make sure I understand the parameters of the challenge. It's one book, either written by an author of that country or set in that country. Is that right? Yeah. I think the, the reason I set it up was I was afraid that some countries might not have authors that are translated into a language I understand. And some countries might be like some books might be set in a certain country. So it might be written by like an author that's based somewhere else, but set in that country that could be really interesting. Like, for example, I have Unsheltered. Barbara King Silver. I made a note. I wondered if based on your love of Adichie, Prodigal Summer by her would be a good pick for you. Ah. But you jotted down Unsheltered as a possible pick? Yes. Because it is uh, set in Congo. That is the Poisonwood Bible. Oh, sorry. Yes. The Poisonwood Bibles. Well, I really love that book. And I think based on the kind of literature that you gravitate towards, uh, that book and that author could be a really good fit for you. Well, thank you. Okay. I am going to mostly honor your request to get you books that fly under the radar, but not entirely. <laughs> because the first book for Cuba is a book that has sold... I'm pretty sure a bazillion copies, at least here in the United States. And I know that it's been published in dozens of countries internationally so far. And that book is Next Year in Havana by Chanel Clayton. Is this one you know? I have seen it on Instagram. Was it one of the picks for Reese Witherspoon's book club? It was. Which, you know, it's possible that has something to do with it selling a bazillion copies. Yeah. This is a fairly recent release. It came out two-ish years ago. There's already a sequel out that you may enjoy as well called When We Left Cuba. Uh -huh. Though much of it takes place in Florida, it still has those heavily Cuban ties that hmm. you could be reading about. Wait, hold on. Did you say you were going to Cuba, actually? Yeah. My brain was so focused on the books that I just glossed over that really exciting detail. So tell me about that trip. We're going for like a second honeymoon. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Planning a wedding was so much energy and took so much time that we felt at the time that like planning a honeymoon would feel really strenuous as well. So we decided, okay, we'll just go for a nice trip in Europe. And it was a wonderful trip, good wine and good food. And it was great. But then we also wanted to do like a longer trip to a more exotic location further out of where we live. And that's how we ended up planning a trip. We're actually flying to Miami and going to spend some time there and the Keys. And then we're going to New Orleans for Christmas. And then we're going to Cuba for New Year's because that was the cheapest place to spend in New Year's. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Do you have New Orleans books picked out too? 
No, I don't actually. There have to be some good ones. Readers, you can pile those on in blog comments. There's some amazing bookstores in New Orleans also. Oh, I look forward to that. I already started making a list. Oh, I love it. I'm so jealous. So next year in Havana, this is about a Cuban-American woman who goes from Miami back to Havana after her beloved grandmother dies. I mean, she knows her grandmother was an admirable woman, but when she starts digging, and you'll see why she was inspired to do exactly that, she discovers a treasure trove of family secrets that she knew nothing about. So the story moves back and forth in time. In 2017, the granddaughter is back in Cuba. It's newly open, so she actually can go back. And the reason that she's actually allowed to go is that she's going to write an article on tourism Mm -hmm. for her job. But really what she wanted to do was dig into both her personal history and the history of the country she loves. So there's that contemporary storyline. But then you keep going back in time to 1958, where the grandmother is just 19 years old and she's falling in love for the first time with a revolutionary, as you do. And back and forth, Cuba then and Cuba now Mm. and the family then and the family now. I know that many people who really didn't know much about Cuba, you can absolutely read this book um, and really enjoy the experience. And it's a great introduction to the history of the country through the lens of a really great and fun, easy to read, fast moving story. How does that sound? That sounds amazing. Like I, I can't wait to, I'm, I'm stopping myself currently from ordering that book <laughs> until we finish. It is definitely the kind of book, like everybody's definition of airplane read is different, but it does seem like it would be a great airplane read on the way there. Oh, I think I'll, I'll have to pick it up before. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, that's, that's probably a good idea. Then you'll be in the right mindset before your trip. And plus you may finish that and want to read when we left Cuba next. Mm. I love that it has this like historical aspect too, that you get to see two parallel stories. That is really fun. And it's interesting to see, like, you know where the grandmother ended up in life Mm -hmm. and you get to go back and see more about the choices she made and how she got to where she was and what happened in the country during that crucial time. You see it through the eyes of her granddaughter, who's trying to puzzle out her grandmother's actions and her motives. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's a sweet family story as well. Right. So- If you want to read about South America, I really don't think you could go wrong by picking up something by Isabel Allende. Have you read anything by her? No, but I think I I heard her name on the show because I think you mentioned it, like you've recommended books by her. I can't remember which ones, but actually in some of the recent episodes. (laughs) Well, she is a prolific author and she has a book coming out uh, the first half of 2020 that I'm really looking forward to that I can see on my bookshelf right now. I'm sure opinions differ on this, but I think if you're going to read Isabel Allende and you're not sure where to jump in, um, The House of the Spirits is such an amazing place to start. Although I have to say that while House of the Spirits get a lot of love, there are many who think that Ava Luna is actually her best work. This is a sweeping family saga. It's set over the course of many decades, many characters, lots of development, lots of the personal relationships we see represented in your favorites. And they also writes about the political in a very, very personal way. She takes those big themes and she makes them very individual. And it's a story about love, destiny, and also magic. And most importantly for you, it is set in Chile by a Chilean American author. How does that sound? It sounds like it's hitting every 
box on my list of things that I enjoy. (laughs) Well, that does have a lot in common with Love in the Time of Cholera. And I think it's important to say that while her writing is lovely, stuff happens. Okay. It is a hefty book also, but it keeps you moving along. Does it have like a list of characters in the beginning, like with its family tree that you need to figure out, like with uh, Garcia Marquez? <laughs> oh, I want to say yes, but then I wonder if I'm just making that up or if I made my own list in the, the front of the book. Okay. If your edition doesn't have one, this would be a great time to take a blank page in the front of the book or if that just makes you feel all tense and awful inside because you couldn't write in a book just to grab a nice big index card and start making your list of characters. That's not a bad idea. You'll get to know them as the novel goes on, but it might be a little overwhelming at the beginning. So that certainly wouldn't hurt. If you do enjoy her work, there are so many more novels you could read next. That is wonderful. What a gift. Like if I like her, I have an endless, (laughs) well, not completely endless, but a long list of, of titles to enjoy. Okay. Anna, this next one is off the beaten path. It's a book set in Columbia. It's by Laura Restrepo. It came out about 10 years ago and it's called Delirium. Is this a book you know? Uh, no, I don't think I've heard anything about it. Tell me. This is a slim book and it's in translation. For some of the smaller countries, there won't be a flood of works to choose from and so few that English speakers, and I don't know what it's like in Finland, but so few books that we read here in English are translated. It's something like four and a half percent of what we buy are translated works. Here's what I like about this one for you. It's definitely off the beaten path. You want to read books that are under the radar and at least where you are in Finland and where I am in the United States, I believe this counts. It has detective roots, but it tells a story that while a mystery wouldn't be accurate to describe it as just that. Here's the setup. And it really does sound like the opening to like a serious modern domestic noir, but that is not what this is. So a man returns from a business trip. His wife has vanished. After uh, he gets a few messages on the answering machine, because that was a thing then, uh, he's able to track her down to a hotel in Bogota. But she does not seem to be in her right mind, and he doesn't know what to do about it. Wow. He's got to figure it out and he's chasing down the threads in that sense. It reads like a detective novel, but the way this is narrated is so interesting. There are multiple voices that overlap and tell different sides of the story. And in these narrative voices, it becomes not just a story about his wife's madness, but a story with larger societal themes. It's extremely interesting and unique, and it is set in Colombia. How does that sound? I'm, I'm really intrigued by that. I didn't have anything for Colombia on my radar. When I was researching books for the project, some of the books just, I wasn't excited about them. You know, I would read the description and be like, hmm, I don't know, I'll, I'll keep looking. Uh, whereas this one, it sounds like, okay, I want to, I want to pick it up, but I'm, I'm intrigued already by this mystery slash cultural commentary. Something that gives me a little bit of pause is that it might in some ways feel akin to the short stories we discussed mm-hmm. earlier. However, I still think it would be worth taking a chance on. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm open-minded. Okay. <laughs> Anna, I have to share two really excellent resources for you embarking on your challenge Ooh. or for anyone who's interested in seeing what 
a challenge like yours, where you read a book from every country might look like, um, who just wants to see what the options are or who's considering taking on this challenge for themselves. Because I have to tell you, every time we talk to a reader who's embarking on a challenge, we get a lot of emails from readers that say, I'm going to do that too. So first, there's a really useful blog. It's called A Year of Reading the World.com. It's by a woman named Anne Morgan, and she actually gave a TED Talk on her project, but she embarked on a project very similar to yours, where she wanted to read a book from every country in the world. And the most helpful thing to you, perhaps on this blog, would be the category she calls The List which is a record of all what she considers to be valid book recommendations that she received before, during, and after her project. She did do it in one year. That year was 2012. So Mm -hmm. 2012 has come and gone. She still does update this site sometimes, and it's definitely worth checking out. And just for fun, you can also see how she decided which countries to include because she speaks to your challenge. Like, yes, it was hard to decide exactly which countries I would choose, and this is how I did it. Okay. So that's fun. Another resource to explore is brand new. It's a website just released by one of our previous podcast guests. Oh. So longtime listeners may recognize Melissa Jewel Wan from What Should I Read Next, episode 60. That's called The Last Page Can Make It or Break It if you're looking in your podcast mm-hmm. app. But she and her husband, Dave, they just launched a new website and it's called Strong Sense of Place. And you can find it at strongsenseofplace.com. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. It's a website and also a podcast dedicated to great books and literary travel. So if you go to their site, you'll see blog posts that are like six classic novels set in memorable manor houses or seven unusual travel guides that will inspire you to visit Prague. Like there's a lot of literary themed bookless posts. Also, they have a 2020 reading atlas for subscribers that takes you around the world with book recommendations. And I have to tell you, they have a book recommendation for Peru also. It's The Bedlam Stacks. Mm-hmm. It's by Natasha Pulley. It's a historical fantasy. And they say it takes you high into the Andes Mountains of 19th century Peru and deep into the heart of native lore. And I won't read you the whole thing, but Mel says the plot delivers exciting surprises and the end packs an emotional wallop you won't soon forget. That sounds like an amazing resource. I mean, I even without this challenge, I love books with a strong sense of place. So it's an extra bonus if a book from that country also has a strong <laughs> sense of place. Mel has been talking about this project for a really long time, and I am very excited. It is finally live. So I hope that's also a great resource for you in your regular reading life and also for your fun project. Thank you. Okay. So Anna, we talked about Next Year in Havana by Chanel Clayton, set in Cuba. The House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende, set in Chile. And Delirium by Laura Restrepo, set in Colombia. Of those three books, what do you think you may read next? I think I'll start with the Cuban one because the trip is coming up soon. That would be the main criteria thing for these books. But I'm so excited to read all of them. I might just like read them one after another in the order that you recommended. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Good luck on your challenge. Have an amazing trip. And thank you so much for talking books with me today. I really appreciate it. I think that's going to make my project happen. (laughs) 
Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Anna today, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 218, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Readers, we have some good ones coming up. We will see you next week. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next? Readers, I have a book coming out and our newsletter is full of exciting book news like the currently forming lunch team for Don't Overthink It. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to get in on all that action. If you're not on the list, fix that now. Go to what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter to get that free weekly delivery. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Happy reading, everyone.